Welcome to the Resonate Boise Sermons Podcast. Today, we'll be hearing from our site pastor, Jonah Link, as he continues our sermon series going through the book of Mark. If you've joined us this semester, we have been in the book of Mark. We've been walking through, and this sermon today is about how Jesus can heal. And so we actually have a video for you, and it's a little bit of a heavy video. This is a story uh, from, of someone in our church going through a pretty tough experience. And so we think it's valuable and really impactful for you to see, but just wanted to give you that little bit of a warning. So would you check out the screen with me? It's feeling I never hope to feel again. It's that feeling of your three kids now become two. The bunk bed that we just bought needs to go back somewhere else. All of that wrapped into an emptiness that is, it's really hard to tangibly describe, but it is the worst feeling in the world. The big memory I have of that morning is all the kids just dancing together and I had taken a video of them doing that. And so Carl was already up on the tractor at my grandma's house. I brought the kids up and we were just watching him and hanging out and they love watching dad work and do all the construction stuff that he does. I was kind of leveling some ground for a firewood shed and a John Deere tractor, good old green and yellow. Um, so that's, I was driving on that. and. We're getting hungry for lunch, so we decided it was time to head back down the hill. She lives up on a hill um, in a dirt road. And so the boys had asked to be in the bucket of the, the tractor, and then I had Hannah in my arm, and so we were heading down. And uh, When we hit that steeper part, um, the tractor, as I was hitting the brake, the, one of the wheels locked up with the brake, but the other one didn't. As it continued to get faster and faster, it was bumpier and bumpier. And at that time, Lucas, our older boy, bounced out on the right, and then Caden bounced out on the left. I watched everything happen, and in my mind, I thought I was losing my whole family um, all at once. Ended up driving over Caden on the left side. Uh, the tractor wheel was about like this, uh, went over the, his midsection. As I was holding him, I, I could see um, he was gurgling blood and blood was coming out of his ears. And from what I know, that is someone is dying at that point. I've thought a lot about what that felt like, and uh, the words I've come up with is I was uh, blindsided by emptiness. So, it's a feeling I never hope to feel again. In those initial moments, I think both of us were looking for hope with something that traumatic happened to a boy. I was looking for any signs of life. Um, we drove off the family property, uh, and then from Potter Valley towards Ukiah. I as well called 911 at that point. And we then, in back and forth, decided on the next major intersection to, to wait there. I believe within three minutes, the ambulance was there. So I knew 
when I had a 50-minute ETA for the helicopter that this was my only option, and I knew it was a good option. The staff here is amazing. They know that if I call on the phone, which I did that day as soon as I saw what I had, and I said I have a pediatric trauma, I need everybody, that I know that that's what's going to be there when I get there. We walked into the, the emergency room, and those double doors or whatever opened up, and uh, there was 30 people waiting for us. And so they were lining the entire room, um, ready to help. And I said, I'm the dad. And they went right to work. And I don't know all their names, but I will remember that group of people because for the next couple hours, um, yeah, they were due. They were God's hands to us. I don't think I've ever prayed so hard while I was trying to work at the same time as I did that day. I was praying to God that we were going to save him, that I wasn't going to have to hold his parents crying on the floor. And I was looking at this beautiful little boy. So I had to put my big girl boots on and fall back on the training that I had and the team that I trusted so much because I knew we were going to do everything we could the team effort, the interdepartment relationships, the, the work ethic, the value for life. So we have a broken femur, we have two broken arms, we have both pelvises are broken, we have a scapula that's broken, uh, we have a lacerated liver, we have a spleen that is bleeding pretty excessively. In the meantime, they are relaying all of that down to Oakland Children's for the decision on what to do next. Children's has decided we want to get him there as soon as we can, and so that was the assumption that we were going to go down there to do, the, to do that. The minute I saw Caden in the ER, my first impression, the first five or ten minutes, I thought 50% chance he will not make it. You can't imagine how much pressure I had inside of me for about 20 or 30 minutes to decide to take him to the operating room or not. The thing come to you, what happens if he does not make it? How can you live with it? But at some point you have to do what you believe is right. It was decided to have this emergency splenectomy. Dr. Hanna uh, took the child into the room with the nurse anesthetist, anesthesiologist, and uh, took his spleen out in six minutes brought the child back and the helicopter people took them off to Cho and had the child left five minutes earlier probably would have died in flight. To save a four-year-old's life, I've been here since 86, it was the most miraculous save I've ever seen. To go in and take out a spleen in six minutes and uh, to have doctors that are experts in the field look back at him and say, you better send that guy a Christmas card because that was legit. That was amazing what he did. So I was flying uh, in the cockpit on the left side and then Caden was in the back. It was 48 minutes of just wondering how your boy's doing. And um, I specifically remember because I couldn't see him, the voices of the guys in the back that were tending to him and the, the calmness of their voices were communicating to me that he's okay. From that bed in the PICU, which we were there for 12 days, I went in to just be with him at about 2.30 in the morning. And as I got up to go, I'd been holding his hand and he didn't let go. And it was that realization that my boy is still in there. 
you know, he's still in there. And through three more surgeries and all of the efforts of the team here in Oakland, we now have a boy that can stand up on his own, wanting to stand up. And with the life in his eyes, looking at you with a smile on his face, give you a thumbs up or just a big cheesy grin. But he's just eager now to, to move and to, to get out of the hospital. The question loomed on June 24th of whether or not that boy would be back. And because of your help, we have him back. Like, and that would be the, the thanks is the thing that you got connected to our family for, the, the desire, the hope to bring him back. Like he's back, minus his spleen. That's it. That was Carl and Christy Olson, and I knew them pretty well when I was up on staff with Resident at Washington State University, and regardless of whether or not you know who those people are, you felt something, right? If you have a heart, you felt something in that moment, whether you're a parent and you couldn't imagine yourself in a similar situation, or you have no idea what it is like to have a child, but yet you saw Carl and Christy's faces and the pain in their voices as they described their situation. You felt something. And then you probably also felt something towards the end, even as Carl was able to joke about his son no longer having a spleen, but he is healthy and he is alive and he is walking. And so your heart maybe jumped for joy in that moment, or at the very least, you felt just a sense of happiness for them, a sense of happiness for them. Because there is something within those stories that we look at and just feels right. Health being restored feels right to us. That's how it should be. Our health should be restored. It should be good. And so last week we talked about what the kingdom of God looks like and the bits and pieces that we get to experience here on earth, though it's not fully actualized yet. And one of the points that we, I talked about was the kingdom of God is painless. When God comes and his rule is over all creation once and for all, there will be no more pain. In the creation account in Genesis, God doesn't create pain. He doesn't create hurt. He doesn't create any of the things that cause death in this world. That's not what God created. He created a perfect world without any pain. But in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world and sin causes all of these horrendous things that we experience in this world. Sin causes pain and suffering and illness and all of these things that are so brutal. All the things that we see in this world that are outside of God's design are, are, is brokenness. And Caden's story, as you were watching that and experiencing that alongside me, it's a, it's a glimpse of God's healing hand in this world. The situation that was dire, quite literally for Caden, it's evidence that God's kingdom is coming, that God's kingdom has drawn near to us. It's not fully here yet, but it's coming near to us. And so there was a moment where the doctor said, five more minutes into that flight, if we didn't remove his spleen, he would have passed away. And so it's absolutely crazy stuff to hear stories like that and hear stories of God's healing hand that happen all around us. So the kingdom of God is near and it's evidenced by stories of healing, both in Caden's story and within the gospel of Mark. So the, the first stories that we see after Jesus begins his earthly ministry in the gospel of Mark all have to do with some sort of healing. And so like we talked about the very first week in the introduction, Mark really cares about showing what Jesus did, his action, what he did in the world, what he did to bring the kingdom of God here. And ultimately Jesus brought healing. We see that in the first couple of stories, he casts out demons and he heals the sick. 
So Jesus brings healing. And if you think back to week one, we identified that Jesus, his sonship and his kingship wields him all the authority. In heaven and on earth, Jesus has all authority. What that means is Jesus has complete power and control over everything in this world. He has complete and utter authority, including authority over sickness and over pain. He has authority over those things. And at this point in the story, the right here and now, what we experience today, Satan still rules this world. You see in 2 Corinthians 4, it's called, uh, he's called the God of this earth. Sin still exists. God's perfect kingdom is not here yet. We all experience pain. We all experience suffering to some extent because God's perfect kingdom is not here just yet. But we get to experience bits and pieces of God's healing hand in this world and we get to rejoice in it. And when I think about being physically healed in this life, it sounds, it sounds pretty crazy. When you think about the miraculous healings that happen within the world, we can tend to believe in maybe our cynical minds. That is, that's crazy. That's made up. That's not real. That didn't actually happen. Yet we heal from sickness all the time. Some of us have been dealing with sickness over the last couple of weeks, and we're finally feeling better. We are being healed and renewed as our bodies go to work as God created them to do. But we see more than 20 accounts of Jesus healing individuals of pretty dramatic things without, uh, throughout the four gospel accounts. Jesus, Jesus really clearly cares about physically healing people. And he expects it to happen. And these things take place all across the four gospel accounts. And so Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is near. So we talked about last week, the kingdom of God has come near to us. It's, it's here for us to experience today. And he came to heal and restore on every level, not just our physical ailments, but as we're gonna look at, Jesus came to heal our sinful hearts, the more important of the two, I would argue. So today we're gonna talk about two aspects that Jesus heals. Number one, Jesus heals our bodies. And two, Jesus heals our hearts. And so if you have your copy of scripture, you can open up to Mark chapter two and we'll spend some time in the first 12 verses today. If you can recall back to the first week, we talked about what our journey through the gospel of Mark is gonna look like. We compared it to a summer road trip. And when you have a destination that you're trying to get to, you probably have a handful of stops along the way that you're going to spend time in and really intentionally engage in. That's kind of how we're viewing the, the gospel of Mark. We're going to spend time from here to Easter Sunday working through the gospel of Mark. I'm prayerfully taking some very specific stops along the way throughout the book of Mark. And today we're coming to our next stop. And one thing that you need to take note of as we engage with this story is Jesus is starting to amass quite the following. Between where we left off last week and where we're picking up this week, a lot has happened in, in a pretty short amount of time. There has been many people healed, many demons casted out, and Jesus is, is amassing quite the following of people. He's growing in popularity. And so people are trying to follow him everywhere just to witness what is happening. And so today, I think this is a pivotal stop on our way to understanding what the kingdom of God drawing near to us means. One thing to also take note of, Jesus has started to call his disciples four of them. Uh, he has uh, Andrew, James, John, and Peter that he has called. He says, drop your nets, follow after me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then there's multiple stories of Jesus healing and casting out demons. And so I hope for you personally 
as you've worked through the gospel of Mark, read every single word through your devotional time, I hope it's been incredibly transformational for you. I had so many things as I've done it myself and read through the gospel of Mark that I wanted to talk about today. And we just can't talk about every single thing, but there are so many incredible stories and things that Jesus does that you can look at and learn from and glean from. And so though we can't stop at every single passage, every single word up from now until Easter, I hope that you've spent time in every single word because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and can teach you and transform you as you spend time digging into your Bibles. And so let's start with verse one. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So let's stop here for a minute. Imagine this scene taking place. Gavin, if you want to throw up the picture, this is what the, the place didn't look like at the time. It's what it looks like literally today. This is a picture I took from last March. And this is what is assumed to be Peter's house. And this is where everyone would have gathered in Capernaum. And so you can kind of see uh, my brother Daniel's hand in the corner, but it's not very big. Like that place would literally fit inside of here. And this is where Jesus shows up to. Granted, at the time, there's going to be actual walls and a roof, and it's going to look like it's not multiple thousand years old. Uh, But this is the place that Jesus shows up to, more than likely. He shows up to this place that isn't his home. It's more than likely Andrew and Peter's house. But it's packed. Imagine people just absolutely feeling the inside, around this octagon shape, outside. No one can get in or out. Everyone wants to see what Jesus is up to. Everyone wants a a glimpse of the power that Jesus wields. Maybe they've heard stories. Maybe they've seen like literal moments of Jesus healing individuals. But they show up here expecting Jesus to do something incredible. It's absolutely packed. Then verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So these men, they are they're desperate to get their friend in the proximity of Jesus. They believe that Jesus has the power to heal their friend of his paralysis. And so more than likely, there's a staircase that leads to the top of that roof. They climb up it with their friend and they start digging through the ceiling. That's how desperate they are. They start clawing through the ceiling to get their friend down to Jesus. If you can imagine Jesus, he's teaching, like I'm teaching right now, and the ceiling is starting to cave in on him, and mud starts falling on Jesus, and he's like, what is going on? Granted, he probably knows exactly what's about to happen. But in this moment, their desperation leads them to do something crazy. Get on the roof, carry their friend, lower him to Jesus. And if you were to imagine yourself in a similar situation, If you had to be healed, you wanted to be healed so badly, you've experienced something, your friend or family member is experiencing an illness, a sickness that's been just tormenting them for years. You're like, I'll do whatever it takes to see them heal. I'll do whatever it takes to see my best friend, my spouse, my child healed. You'll go to whatever length to see them healed. So climbing onto a roof and cutting through it and lowering them down on a mat doesn't at all seem so crazy anymore. Then verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. 
His sins are forgiven? Wait a second, that's not why they're here. They're, they're here to see him physically healed. They're here because they've heard stories of Jesus healing people physically. They're expecting to lower their friend, Jesus to say some stuff, maybe touch him, and he stands up and walks out of there. That's what they came there to do. They came to see him healed, not necessarily forgiven. And I could imagine what that felt like. Every Christmas or birthday, I have an expectation. I tell my dad, hey, these are some things that I would love for my birthday for Christmas. And then he gets me something completely different that I've never used. And like that's every single year for me. I don't know about you, but in this moment, I can imagine they feel somewhat similar, but probably on a way more extreme. I don't need those things that I asked for. This guy needs to walk. He needs to be healed. It feels like life and death to him more than likely. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Granted, this shouldn't be a letdown for him, but it's probably a big letdown. But like, what in the world, Jesus? Like, I came to be healed. You're healing all these other people. Why aren't you healing me right now? Well, the reality is Jesus came to heal our sinful hearts. Jesus came to heal our sinful hearts. And the physical healing is incredible, amazing for sure. But Jesus knows that isn't man's greatest need. He knows that it's not our greatest need. He knows that we have a greater need than that. It's the sickness that dwells within our hearts. Our sinful nature is the thing that is the most urgent. That's our greatest need. And Jesus knows he's the one that can forgive the sins of this man. It's like when you have two siblings and the younger sibling is annoying the heck out of the older sibling. Older sibling naturally winds back and smacks them. Little sibling goes crying to mom, and then mom says, hey, you need to apologize to your little sibling. And the older sibling looks at their mom and says, yeah, I'm sorry. And the mom's like, don't apologize to me. You're not the, like, you didn't hit me. You hit your sibling. Go apologize to them. The younger sibling has the authority in that moment to forgive. The mother doesn't. Similar thing is happening here. It's the same idea. Jesus tells him his sins are forgiven because Jesus is the one who has been sinned against. He's the one who's been sinned against, so therefore he is the one that has authority to forgive. But then some people notice what has just happened in verse 6 and get all bent out of shape. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law are sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The reaction in this moment speaks to the absolutely shocking nature of Jesus' claim. What Jesus has just said is absolutely blowing away these teachers of the law. And we, we know Jesus is God, but they don't in this moment. And it seems like to them, more than likely, Jesus is just taking thousands of years of tradition, Jewish tradition, just throwing it out the window and saying, no, I have the power to forgive. And Jesus doesn't mince words. He, he doubles down in this next part of the text. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what uh, knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man, Jesus, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus makes a, just a brilliant move here, of course. And he uses this line of reason that we would call a fortiori. 
A fortiori argument is when you use something that is of greater challenge to prove that the lesser challenge is in fact true. A couple examples would be if you're a hiker, if you were to summit Mount Everest, clearly you could summit Mount Bora. Okay, you don't know uh, hiking. That's cool. Um, If you can read faster than Tori, you can read faster than me. That's a fact. If you can sing better than Brooke, you can definitely sing better than me. That's the type of argument that's being used here by Jesus. He says, what do you think is easier for me to tell someone their sins are forgiven or for for me to tell them, get up and walk? And in this moment, it's easier in the, in the minds of the teachers of the law to just say your sins are forgiven because they don't actually know if the sins of this person are forgiven. Jesus could just make that claim, your sins are forgiven, and just walk out of the room. And no one would know if they were actually forgiven, right? But Jesus says, okay, what do you think is harder? You think if I were to tell this man to get up and walk, that would be more difficult? Okay, I'm going to do that so that you know for a fact that I have the authority to forgive sins, And so this is what Jesus argues. And what happens next? Verse 11, Jesus says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He tells the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And I imagine our reaction, if we were to witness something similar, would be very similar to that. We've never seen anything like this. This is incredible, Jesus. Praise God. But why did Jesus forgive his sins before physically healing the man? Jesus wanted the crowd to know that the forgiveness of sins is a far greater value than the physical healing. It's a far greater value. And Resident, do you, do you believe that to be true personally? Do you believe in your heart that when you're, as you're praying for healing, maybe you've been dealing with sickness all year long like I have. Maybe you have some physical ailments that are driving you crazy. You've been praying for so long for God to heal you and he still hasn't. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you've been healed of your greatest sickness. You've already been healed of your greatest sickness. And just because you've been healed doesn't mean we don't sin. We still have a difficult time with sin in this world. As we talked about two weeks ago in James 1, there's a, there's a day coming. So a day coming where you'll, you'll be perfected in the presence of God, where you will no longer sin. The kingdom of God is sinless. You're healed because your sins are forgiven, not because you don't sin. Does that make sense? You're healed because your sins are forgiven by Jesus, not because you don't sin. And so some of you might be in the season where you're struggling as you pray to ask God for healing and it still hasn't occurred, whether it's yourself, emotional healing, physical healing, it still hasn't happened yet. And you can keep praying. Maybe you're like the friends of the paralyzed man that are just saying, I'll do whatever it takes. God, whatever you desire from me, I'll do it so that I can be healed. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll I'll claw through a roof, whatever it takes. And it leads me to ask the question, what happens when God doesn't heal us? What happens when God doesn't heal us? And I think there's one response that Tori and I were talking about this last week. Shouldn't the eternal healing of the sickness of our hearts be enough for us? Shouldn't it be enough for us that we are going to spend eternity with God in his painless, sinless, perfect kingdom? 
shouldn't it be enough for us? Granted, sometimes we pray like it's not enough for us. I know I'm guilty of that. But is it enough for us that our hearts have been healed of the greatest sickness? Is it enough for us? And I think this story communicates to us that when we're in Jesus, that greatest sickness has already been dealt with. Resident, your sins are forgiven and therefore you're healed. You're healed. I was chatting with Luis the other day about some discouragement I've been facing over the last week specifically, even as I was preparing this message. And it came down to this idea of like how God shows up in the miraculous. And I had someone tell me uh, this last week that if I'm not seeing the miraculous happen on a daily basis in my ministry, then maybe God's not with you. And it like had me so discouraged the entire week. And I was so like frustrated in a lot of ways and Luis reminded me as he was walking out the door, like, no, that is not the truth. That is such a lie. How many people have come to know Jesus because of our church's influence? And the answer is many over the years. There's been a ton of healing that's taken place, even though a paralyzed person hasn't stood up and walked out of here rejoicing. There is a great amount of healing that's taken place in the very hearts of the people that you've all interacted with, ourselves included. And I don't think that God, that means that God doesn't want to heal us physically, though. If you were to look at James 5, James 5, 13 through 16 says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The same things are communicated here as it plays out in Mark 2. Prayer and faith makes a sick person well, according to both of these texts. The men had faith. Jesus says, or the text says in Mark that the men had faith as they went to Jesus for healing. James 5, in this moment, faith is what, prayer of faith is what heals their friend. And Paul defines faith as full conviction of God's ability to do what he has promised. That's Romans 4, 21. God promises us an eternal home. He promises us a kingdom without pain, without sin, without any of those things that sin sin induces into this world. That's a faith that we come to God with for healing. Back when Tori graduated college at WSU, she had a decision to make. She either had to stay in Pullman or move back to Spokane. That was the decision that she was wrestling with and trying to decide on what to do. And she felt pretty strongly that God wanted her to stay in Pullman and she didn't necessarily know why, but she felt very strongly and convictionally like this is where I need to be. So it led her to make a very silly worldly decision in the fact of she spent all of her uh, savings account on putting a down payment on this house. In the world's eyes, that made no sense. It made absolutely no sense for her to make that decision to stay in Pullman. But personally, I'm praising God for her conviction in that moment and her faith in God to provide for her that led us to being married and having a kid and one on the way. And it's like so incredibly exciting. And I'm so thankful for Tori's faith. And so faith often leads us to making decisions that look entirely crazy to the world. That's what faith can do. But for us in the moment, as we're operating in faith, it doesn't feel crazy. 
you, you, you're operating in such conviction and confidence that it doesn't even seem crazy to you. And so Jesus heals. Jesus heals. The prayer of, of healing over your friend, your family, your child, it seems crazy. Like thinking that God could heal physically someone seems absolutely ridiculous to the, those that don't know Jesus. It sounds crazy. But the fact is that Jesus heals. And then what do we see in this text? We also see forgiveness. At this point in time, sickness was closely correlated to sin. Not that your sin caused you to be sick, but your sickness was a result of sin being in the world. And so that's why they're so closely correlated by James. And this is where we see that confessing sin and praying for one another offers healing. And it's valuable to us, not only physically, but spiritually. And so right now in this life, it can be really easy for us to get caught up in all of the pain, the hurt, the suffering, whether that's school, work, family life. The same, same goes for your physical needs. If you're, you're struggling with your pains, your, your aches, I mean, it's not even limited to physical pain. We literally see Jesus casting out demons and freeing people from the clutches of the enemy. But maybe, maybe you have some relational pain that needs healing. Maybe you have a relational pain that needs healing. You've been struggling with that friendship or that relationship for quite some time, and you're just asking Jesus to heal it. He can heal those things. He can heal those things. So what if, instead of being focused on the pain that we're experiencing in this world, though it's incredibly valid, this world is sinful and broken, we are caught up in the reality that we are healed for those that are in Christ. What if you were caught up in the fact that you are eternally healed, even though this life might be pretty painful? What if our minds were consumed by the fact that our greatest sickness has already been healed within us? Our sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven according to Jesus. And these are the only, your sin is the only thing keeping you from entering into that perfect kingdom that Jesus offers the only thing keeping you from that. But if you confess and believe in the finished work of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in this room today, you can take joy. Amidst your pain, amidst your hurt and suffering, take joy knowing that your greatest needs already been met. I know that's so hard to hear at times when you're like, Jonah, but like I'm literally hurting. Like this is awful. It's like, yes, I know. I, I'm, I'm there in some ways too. But at the same time, our greatest need has already been met. And you can rely on the promise that there will be a day that eternity with God will be painless. It will be perfect as God intended it to be. And then if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can think about what Jesus thinks of you in Matthew 18. Jesus compares those that don't know Jesus yet to a sheep that wanders away from the crowd Run, wanders away from the rest of the herd. And Jesus says, of course, that shepherd's gonna chase after that one and bring it back into the fold. That's exactly how Jesus thinks about you. He desires to bring you in. He desires to bring you close. He, he is pursuing you. And so in our response today, I want us to pray with one another, just as James 5 illustrates for us and tells us to do. I want us to pray for one another, remembering that there is both physical healing and spiritual healing. 
I want us to take the next couple of minutes. Brooke's just going to play. And I want us to move about the room if you need to. If you know someone in the room that is physically hurting, lay your hands on them and pray for them. James 5 says it's powerful and effective. If someone doesn't know Jesus in the room and you want someone to pray for you to have faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, invite someone around you to pray for you. They would love to. And so for the next couple of minutes, we're just going to pray for each other. And if that makes you feel really uncomfortable, there is a lot of hurt and pain in the world that I'm sure you've seen. You probably know someone that is in physical pain right now and you want to pray for them. You want to just spend time by yourself praying for them. Do that as well. Because Jesus does in fact have the power to heal and we see evidence of it all throughout the gospel of Mark. And so my prayer is that as we pray these prayers, may we see some people get healed and praise God for that. And it would grow our faith and grow our conviction that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. And it would encourage us. It would build us up. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Jesus, thank you that you came. You brought healing. Jesus, I thank you for all the stories that we can read in the Gospel of Mark where you have authority over this brokenness. You have authority over pain. You have authority over sickness. You have the power to heal us. Jesus, I pray for healing in this space today, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever it might look like, God. In Jesus' name, we pray that you would, you would heal us in whatever way necessary. God, would you show your power, show your authority in this space today, God? We are so thankful that we have access to you. We're so thankful that you sent Jesus to die on our behalf so that we could have that access, she could have that relationship with you, God. So Lord, would you grow our faith in this space and in this time? Let's reflect all the glory to you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.